to another episode and season three opener of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Van Eyck, and it is fantastic to be back again for another season and another year. Starting this podcast, I would never have thought it would go for now three years, and it is absolutely fantastic to be back. On that, I'm still working out how it fits best with how my life goes. So there may be a change in this season of episodes being spaced a bit further apart, and we might see how that goes, and it may then change later if we get the chance to do things a lot quicker. But it's fantastic to be back, and I hope you're ready for another brilliant season of amazing people. I'm expanding my search wide for so many interesting people in the industry of aquatics, whether they are lifeguards, their admin staff, their front of desk customer service, they're in the pool teaching, they're out of the pool coaching or swimmers from past and present. I want to share everyone's story on here as much as I can so we can all learn and develop from what others share with us in their journeys. I've spent the last break that I've had since just before Christmas learning and chatting with more professionals in the industry and it's great with the information and the way we share our knowledge. Um, I don't believe there is an industry like it who is so willing to share what they know so I think that's fantastic. In this episode, I interview an industry professional who, after being told he was throwing his life away for pursuing a career in aquatics, he's now built a career and a business around swimming and is passionate about helping others in the industry, whether that be a swim teacher, coaches, swimmers, to help them all achieve their full potential in the sport and the industry. So please extend a big welcome to the first guest for season three, Gary Barclay. Gary has been involved in swimming all his life. From a national level competitive swimmer in the 80s, Gary turned to coaching in 1990 and became one of the most successful coaches of junior and age group swimmers over the next 12 years. Since then, Gary has focused on the administration and management of the sport of swimming, as well as mentoring and developing swimming coaches, and is actively involved at a club, state and national level in both competitive swimming and in the management and growth of swim schools. Gary was CEO at Natawadding Swimming Club for 17 years and is now the general Manager of Performance Pathways for Swimming Australia. Through today's episode, Gary shares some insights into his work as well as his thoughts on swimming and where he sees swimming moving to in the future. Please share those hidden gems you find in Gary's interview and as always, there's a lot on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you will find all his contact details listed at the end of the show notes. If you want to share your aquatic journey, please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. So let's take a big dive in and find out more about Gary's journey in swimming. So Gary, how did you start your journey in swimming? 
It's actually a funny story, Katrina, because when I was only five years old, our next door neighbour built a pool and there were no fences back then. And one day I went missing and my mum couldn't find me for about an hour. And all she could think of was that I'd gone out in the backyard and jumped in the pool next door. She eventually found me asleep under one of the beds and I'd been asleep for an hour and I'd crawled in under a really tight bed and they put me straight into swimming lessons from there. Wow, what a scary time for your mother. I know when my kid went missing just in the shopping centre, it was scary enough, let alone, yeah, when there's no fences around a pool. That's right. No, very much so. So, yeah, they took me down to swimming lessons. I started swimming uh, lessons about three years later when I was about eight, started swimming with Nutterwadding Swimming Club as an eight, nine, 10 year old, and then went and trained with Julie Dyring, who was an Olympian herself in 1968. And she coached a a squad of about 24 athletes. And it was just a quality group of people to work with. Uh, We formed a club, Melbourne Aquatic, and the journey started from there. (laughs) And you haven't looked back since. No, it's interesting. I've been very fortunate to be involved in the sport all my life, but uh, it wasn't by design. It was quite by accident, like the different things I did at university and that over time have just led into supporting being involved in swimming. I love that. I find that a lot when I do these podcast interviews, people have said, you know, I've gone to university to do a qualification, but because of that qualification, there's points that relate to swimming and I've been able to stay involved and use that in that way I think that's fantastic that you can then contribute back to the sport that you know you grew up with oh very much so and I think you know I can remember the day like I'd finished swimming and I was coaching and I was working full-time as an accountant and I did that for two years coaching morning and night working full-time during the day and I can remember on Christmas day telling my dad that that I was leaving my accounting job to be a swimming coach and my auntie, bless her heart, turned around to me and said, you young people are just wasting your life away. Like, you know, you go to university, you do courses, and now you want to be just a swimming coach. And I was thinking to myself, like swimming coaches have so much influence over the development of young people and and older people, adults as well. And, you know, they just didn't understand that side. So I didn't even, I tried to explain that I was getting nowhere. So I just left it from them. But I've never forgot that conversation around, you know, wasting your life being a swimming coach, yet it's been probably the best move I ever made. Wow. And what a thing to hear so early on in your career and that you are determined enough to stick to that and you haven't taken that advice and gone, oh, okay, or just a swim coach, I've, I've got to look for something better. I think... That's fantastic that you've been able to run with that, but also had the maturity to be able to analyse it and go, okay, you know, I'm not listening to that. I'm not taking that on board. But then also pass that on because I know in the work that you've done in your career and you've really focused on things like that and saying, you know, there's a lot more to swim coaching. It's not just being a swim coach, not just rocking up for a bit of fun at the pool. Very much so. And, you know, by combining the studies that I did, which was around accounting, marketing and law, uh, together with Masters in Sport Management as well, which gave me the more sport management side of things. Like, I've really enjoyed the journey because fortunate enough to be CEO at Nutterwadding Swimming Club for 17 years, worked as National Event Manager for Swimming Australia, was on the board of Swimming Australia for seven years, 
Very fortunate to manage a number of athletes back in the early 2000s. Uh, Brooke Hansen, when she won a, a gold and silver at the Olympics in 2004. Uh, Matt Cowdery at the Paralympics in 2004. Emma Carney, the triathlete. So just getting that you know, athlete management, event management, sport management, uh, working with state sporting organisations and national sporting organisations. You know, there, there's so much that can be done within sport. Uh, a lot of people think it is just coaching and, and coaching is a major part, but there are so many avenues in sports administration, sports management, and then those different areas as well. Yeah, I think you've done it all, Nearly, You've got every qualification that suits and you've done uh, every role. No, uh, not quite. I have been asked whether I want to become a technical official and do announcing, and I've decided not to do that. Otherwise, then I've probably done really everything you can do. Oh, no. I think you'd just become an honorary technical official. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good fun, Katrina, and it's a healthy sport. You know, you, you have healthy people involved in the sport. The influence that coaches have over their athletes and the way they can help them develop not just in swimming but in life is just so critical and for many coaches if athletes get excited about their swimming and decide they want to do you know solid training and that and start training once a day and six times a week and then going to seven or eight as they get older the amount of time that the coach spends with the athlete is a lot more than their mum or dad gets to spend with them so you have you have that influence over them. So you, you also have that responsibility of raising people in a, a, a really good light. And I think that's a, a fun part of the sport as well and a fun part of coaching. I love that. And I loved how you said the responsibility of it because I think that's something that we take for granted, the fact that we're involved with the kids so much. And I always bring it up in my competitive swimming courses, you know, the fact that you spend more time with them once they get to that high level. But it's not, you know, not really touched on the responsibility that you have to then devote to being able to make that swimmer into a, a human being as well that will go out after swimming and conquer the world themselves. You know, the, the two different aspects of that I see, one is around friendship. And particularly once swimmers get to the age of that 13, 14, 15 years of age and, and particularly when they start doing morning sessions, there's just something about a group of people training in the morning together that can establish lifelong friendships. And that's just such an important part of the sport because a lot of people do go along to training for the community. They go along for their friends. Uh, yes, they want to improve and they want to swim fast. But a lot of things you remember once you finish your swimming journey are those, either the friendships that you made or the experiences that you had along the way, the little trips or the, the funny training sessions and that. It's not all the hard work and that type of thing. It's all the other stuff that way. So, and I, I think the other thing with, in my experience with swimmers and, and particularly with, and this is any athlete, athletes that you know, train more professionally as they get older, they're very successful in their work life. It doesn't matter what they go into, whether, you know, I've got a friend who's a baker, I've got another one who owns a landscaping company, I've got one that's a athlete manager of a, a whole number of athletes. Um, but it doesn't matter what you do, uh, they're successful because of the upbringing and swimming and the life lessons that the training, the competition and the environment help them with. 
Yeah, such a good point that they get that dedication and, like you said, the life lessons that they can continue on. Uh, very much so. Uh, and baking would be perfect because you'd be used to getting up so early to train. <laughs> Go straight into baking. I think it was even earlier. I think it was like 3.30 they were getting up in the morning, and uh, which is pretty early, like, <laughs> to be doing that sort of stuff and finishing around too, so... Wow, they're keen. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your swimming journey so far? It's really hard to say, Katrina, because, like, I learn something every day. And that's probably the biggest thing is just being coachable. Like, if you go into the sport of swimming and, and that, whether you're an athlete or whether you're a coach, is just being coachable and being prepared to learn from others. Like I do a, a lot of webinars and that through Gold Class Swimming and work with Lee Nugent a lot in the past, Rowan Taylor as well. And I sit there in awe of the information that these guys have and all, all the other people that work within that program. You know, we had a session yesterday and we had people from all over the country and overseas talking to us about the different things they'd tried out in the last two months and what had worked and what hadn't worked. So uh, I, I think being coachable is probably the, the number one thing and that will bring you success if you're willing to learn and develop and try new things yourself. Um, everyone has to make a decision in the end on what they do, whether it's in coaching or any other aspect of life. Like Life's about choices. We all get the opportunity to make those choices along the way. Like No one really forces us to do anything. But if you choose to listen to others and take on board things and have an open mind... You can do anything in life. That's exactly right. And I think definitely keeping coachable, I find in all my journeys, just, you know, chatting to people and taking bits of information from them and asking those questions. And I say in my courses, no question is a stupid question because if you don't know it, you've got to find it out. You can't sit there and hide behind it and think, oh, I can't ask that. And it is just taking that time to connect with people and learning what you can because everyone's got something to share. And it's interesting, we, we had a day last week where we got sort of the top 30 coaches in Victoria together and two of the most experienced coaches were talking about a certain set that they'd done and then one of the up-and-coming coaches you know, asked a question and the question was, so you've said you have to do it that way but wouldn't you get a better outcome if you did it this way and explained it differently and they turned to each other and said, yes, you would. Like, wow. and the fact that some of the best coaches in the country were happy to listen to, you know, a young person in their 30s turn around and, and challenge them and they listened and, you know, really took on board. Like, I love that. I love the fact that it doesn't matter how old you are, you can offer something as well. And, you know, to all the, the young coaches that are listening and, and even swim teachers, yeah, be prepared to talk to people a bit older than you and a bit more experienced around your ideas uh, and particularly your observations as well. Because, yeah, often people that have been around a sport for a long time don't pick up on everything and having a fresh set of eyes looking at it, they turn around and, you know, it might even be the upper end of a swim school and someone goes, oh, you know, why in backstroke kick does everyone have their hips down low? And yet it's something you hadn't noticed. Yep. Um, and I've seen that happen before where someone new has come in and gone, well, everyone kicks like this rather than getting the hips up, that sort of thing. So, yeah, just having an open mind really helps and listening to those older and younger than you. 
Mm, and not, I think not getting set in your ways because how much of a confidence boost would it have been for that coach to be able to say, you know, they've listened to me, they've actually seen that I have value and I have a bit of knowledge and it's been verified for them. So I think that is a really fantastic point. Mm. So has there been a, a highlight for you in your journey so far or is there a number of little highlights that have kept you along? I think on my coaching journey, one of my biggest highlights was I coached a boy, Mark Pettifer, who was a, a backstroke swimmer. And he'd gone one minute 32 for 100 backstroke and always put his feet on the bottom and, and that sort of thing. And I can remember sitting down with him saying, you know, mate, you've got good talent there. You just need to apply your trade a little bit more. And he was 13 at the time. So he was young and that, but he was quite tall and lanky. So we worked together for for 12 months together and he brought his time down from uh, 1 minute 32 down to 107 and then that qualified him for state championships so he went to the state championships and qualified for nationals and then he went to nationals made the outside lane in the final and I'd videoed the race and had a look back at the video and I could see that he slowed down the 10 meters into the turn and the 10 meters out and like had a rest and I hadn't noticed it watching, but you know, it's a really good lesson around if you get a chance to video athletes and then go back and watch it. So I had a look at his stroke rate and showed him that his stroke rate had gone from like 42 or something down to 34. So it had dropped off substantially through that time. So we went to the pool half an hour before we would normally go and he did a, a little bit of a warm up, and then we actually practiced what he was going to do in the race in the lane he was going to do it in the race and there was only one and a half seconds between the whole field and I said like you know if you can go a PB you can lift your rankings up to fifth or sixth and not ninth or tenth anyway he swam the race he won a national age gold medal didn't even win a state medal and he won nationals wow and but he listened and he took on board advice and he was very coachable very good at putting things into practice he went on the next year to win the 100 and 200 backstroke, was a very strong swimmer, very accomplished swimmer. And he's also been very successful in life since then. But that was probably the highlight because it was taking someone that everyone else had forgotten about and just bringing that person through who probably shouldn't have even been in the squad. Like most people would put them in the, the recreation squad on the side sort of thing at you know where he was, but he just had something. Um, Probably the other highlight was coaching a 11-year-old girl who was not able to do butterfly and everyone else in the squad could do butterfly and, and she was by far the weakest swimmer in the squad. And I, I started off just re-teaching her how to do butterfly and we just started with, you know, push and glide position, head down and, and just doing the basics and then taught her the arm pattern and then gradually we introduced the kick to the arms. But I made her for probably six months go four strokes, no breathing, just getting the arms right and the kick right. And that, and then gradually she'd go four strokes, take a breath on the fourth and two more strokes, and then just progress that. Fast forward as a, and everyone else is doing 25s a fly. So if they're doing 20, 25s a fly, she'd go four strokes, butterfly, swim through freestyle at 11, even turning 12. So she probably didn't do her first laps of proper butterfly until she was 12 years old. 
At the age of 17, she won age nationals in the 17, 18 age group in the 100 butterfly. Now she was a breaststroker and she won age nationals in breaststroke as a 15, 16 year old, but her butterfly just came through. And while I wasn't coaching her at the time, like I got a real buzz out of seeing someone that just could not do butterfly. Everyone else could, she couldn't. And just was long and lanky and just had no idea sort of how to do it. And going back and spending that time with that person and, you know, giving them the right foundation that if they do choose to go on in the sport, which she did, that, you know, I never expected that she'd even go to nationals for butterfly, let alone win a national age gold medal in it. But it does demonstrate to you, Katrina, that, you know, as a coach and as a teacher, working with everyone's really important. It's not just about the best kids. I often get asked when I was coaching whether I had favourites and I'd always say yes. And and often it was the parents that would ask and they'd look at me. So my favourites are the people who turn up. Mm. If you just go by that and you work with the people in front of you, you're going to get results. You know, if you do the right thing as a coach or a teacher, you'll get good results. So that's probably my other advice is... Uh, you know, you can have favourites. A lot of people say you can't, but just make your favourites the people that you're working with at that time. And yeah. if you do that for everyone, the more often they turn up, the more attention they get. So they turn up more often and they improve more quickly. It's yeah. you know, self-fulfilling in a way. Yeah, that's right. The circle just keeps going and it shows that you're dedicated to them if they turn up and then the cycle continues. And I love how your highlights are taking that swimmer, like you said, that probably everyone else would have put in a recreation squad you've just taken that time and they've obviously showed some passion to you or something's connected and you've expanded on that and the achievements they've made because of it I think that's fantastic that you've taken that step back and they're the ones that have really implanted a memory onto you not the one mm. that, you know you've taken to gold medal and things like that yeah. no oh, very much so and I, I think you know, the influence we have as coaches, you know, <laughs> is just amazing. And that goes in every sport, like every coach has a responsibility around that. But yeah, good fun too. Yeah, and I love that. And it just shows everyone to don't discount those ones that you think, oh, I can't do a stroke or are no good. You never know what comes around. Yep. So you've mentioned working with Rowan Taylor and Lee Nugent. And I think, like you said, that would be awe-inspiring learning for them. Have they played a big role in your swimming journey or are there other coaches or people out there that have played a big role? Probably the the first person that had a major impact on my swimming was Julie Dyring. You know, Julie was a very dedicated coach, a very clever coach, uh, really enjoyed working with her, really enjoyed the life lessons from that 11 till 19, 20 years of age. So my formative years. And I probably don't haven't realised until the last five years what, what effect that had on me on a lot of the values I have in my own life and the values that I learned from Julie and her husband, Peter, as well, and all the guys that I trained with back then. You know, that, that's probably been a major thing for me. Yeah. So, yeah, Julie's definitely one. Lee Nugent coached me when I was around 20 for a couple of years, but his influence has been a lot more on the coaching side of things. And I was fortunate enough to be mentored by him for five years initially and then went out on my own and he was supportive of that. Yeah, we've just seemed to, to work with each other in a whole variety of roles over a long period of time. 
When I was 18, I was fortunate enough to go to the AIS in Canberra and, and train there for a, a couple of years. And I, I would have to say that Bill Sweetnam, who was the head coach there at the time, you know, he had a major influence on my swimming improvement and understanding what elite swimming was about and performance swimming was about. And, you know, he's always been supportive of me since then as well, regardless of what role I've been in as well. So, you know, the lessons learned from Bill, you know, stand in your memory and, and there's plenty of stories around just two years of working with someone with that knowledge and that professionalism. When I was at the AIS, I met this uh, young guy who came over from San Jose and, and wore a, a white singlet with a red San Jose on it all the time. And he was, a, I think, a year younger than me. He was 17, I was 18, and his name was Rowan Taylor. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah, we got to know each other then. And, you know, while he lived in New South Wales for a long time, we've always looked out for each other. I was fortunate enough to coach... Uh, Kerry Aquatic and establish a new program there between 1995 and 2000. And when I knew that I was going to finish up there, I'd made the decision I was going to go more down the management stream and the, the education and mentoring of coaches and that sort of thing. I rang him and it took me six months to talk him into moving to Melbourne. But he came down and he took over that program and he had a, a whole lot, you know, of Olympians, Shane Reese and Alan Gandy. Sarah Lynch uh, was a fantastic swimmer, or Sarah Katsoulis as she was at the time. That was really good that he came into Bedover. And then it took me about a year to convince him to leave there and come across to Nunawading and be a, a true high-performance coach. And, you know, Nunawading probably led the way with that as far as, you know, the model was used to base uh, the Centres of Excellence model for Swimming Australia off. The really good thing about Nutterwadding, and a lot of clubs have this opportunity, but not many use it, is having that learned swim stream that, that goes into the coaching stream. So kids progress through and can be a part of that program all the way through. And a classic example of that recently is Brendan Smith, who started in there like I knew Brendan as a five, six-year-old, and now in the same swimming club, he won a bronze medal going right through the Learn to Swim and the Junior Squad programs all the way through to win a bronze medal at the Olympics. Wow. And it is, it's, I think it's an untapped resource for swim schools, which still amazes me that the fact that swim clubs and swim schools don't work together as much here in Victoria, that, you know, there's not that connection of filtering them through and advertising it from both sides. Uh, very much so. And we won't go down that track, Katrina, because I could talk for a year about that, but... You know, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for swim schools and swimming clubs to work together. And, you know, some do it really well, but others really struggle with it. Yeah, I think that might be a, another podcast. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love how when you spoke about the different coaches and people that have influenced you, it's the life lessons. It's, you know, the building and on your, I suppose, mentoring and then, sort of how can you tap into their talent to then develop other clubs and that sort of thing. I think that's fantastic that there's such a broad influence that I've had on you, but you're also finding it now that stuff you learned back with your coach when you're 11 or 12 is now influencing your life at a later stage. I think that's fantastic. Those lessons we teach kids at such a young age can influence them all the way through. Oh, very much so. And, 
you know, in many ways, you, as a kid, you probably don't appreciate it at the time. Like you think you do, but you don't really. But as you yeah. get older and get more life experience, you realise what an impact people have. Yeah, uh, uh, very much so. Yeah, I love that. I had a connection with the kid for a school swimming program and he came up and thank you so much. I wouldn't have been able to swim that lap if you didn't show me how to swim and how we work together. And I was like, no, you did it all yourself. But yeah, you've got to take that from them and appreciation and see how you've taught them and how they then can use that courage. I said, well, just use it in your everyday life. Go out and take that courage you've got to be able to develop at school and, and to be you. Yeah, no, very much so, Katrina. So what advice would you give to a new swim teacher or coach? You've given such a great advice already. Is there anything else you'd like to tap in? I think really understanding the strokes, you know, having a stroke model in mind of what you're looking for when you teach. I'm probably converted to having a methodology of, you know, making sure the the head position is correct first and then the body position is correct and teaching them that and then uh, you know even body roll in freestyle and backstroke before you teach arms you know kicking action is correct and then introducing the arms whereas my observations are that a lot of swim schools and and young squads uh, the, the kids are swimming up and down or, or swimming short distances but their technique is incorrect and a lot of that starts from the body position. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're new and starting out, getting a really good understanding of what a stroke model looks like and you know, talk to other people about it, talk about the drills that can be used because if all these young kids across the country are taught correctly from the start, then it would just provide a huge foundation of swimmers for the future. I'll give you the classic example. When we teach freestyle, it's sort of pull and push. Backstroke's a bit the same. When young kids come to swim breaststroke for the first time, they'll pull right down by their side and then underwater recovery all the way back out and pull right down because they've been taught from a young age that to pull right through to your hips or your waist is a good thing. So when they start to do the breaststroke arm stroke, they don't realise it's just a skull out and a skull back in. and you know, I'm a big believer that if young children were taught just to skull out and skull back in at the start and do just a little arm stroke at the start uh, before uh-huh. they learnt anything else about breaststroke and then they learned to do the arm with the correct breathing timing and they could do either like freestyle kick or use a pull boy, that we would get the correct stroke pattern in everyone across the country from day one rather than spending, I'd hate to know how many thousands of hours are spent by swim teachers and swim coaches on correcting breaststroke arms. So my advice would be just, particularly if you're new, but even if you're not, just make sure you've got a really good understanding of what you want to achieve. And then um, I was going to say, make the the child do what you want them to do, you know, but but within reason, you know, encourage the child to do the stroke pattern or the kick pattern that you want them to do right from day one. It just fast tracks their development immensely. 
Yeah, that's perfect. Can I actually steal that with the breaststroke? Because I've been teaching a few school groups and one of the head teachers, oh, these kids can't get breaststroke. And I've been doing, you know, the pizza and cutting through and they get the big arms. And then we made up analogy. They had to eat a slice of pizza. So to keep it in front of their face, but just the thought of a simple skull out and a skull back. Yeah. Just keeps it right there. And then it's easy for them straight away. That's right. I I think like the major talking points that I use in breaststroke is when the hands are out in front, they're in a, a V for victory, like the thumbs are, are side by side and they're in a V for victory. So when you push out with a straight arm, uh, you know, if you keep your elbow straight, the water pressure will be on your hand straight away. And that's just a skull out with a straight arm. And then it's really just a, a, a small skull around back in and, and forward out in front again. It's nowhere near as big as what a lot of, kids feel they need to do and the reason they feel they need to do it is because they have been taught other strokes first that do have a long length in stroke and so they just naturally think that they need to keep that long length because we've been going you know you've got to push through to your hips or your waist or or wherever and the same in backstroke as well and then all of a sudden they're doing a stroke we're going no 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 don't push through to your hips like the other thing I found to, to correct that is not to use the word breaststroke, but to actually just do drills with the arms and breathing, drills with the legs and breathing, and then putting them together. So you might do sort of three kicks, one pull, or two kicks, one pull, that sort of thing. And then I often go, I'd like you now to do one kick, one pull. And someone will invariably say, so you want us to do breaststroke? I said, no, I don't want you to do breaststroke. I want you to do one kick, one pull of exactly what we've just been doing. Because if you say we're now going to do breaststroke, they revert back to what they've done in their former life in breaststroke. You know, (laughs) 20 minutes earlier, that's how they would have done breaststroke. And they just do that. So it's a real art not to mention the word breaststroke when you get to, um, you know, one kick, one pull. Uh, with correct breathing timing for both the arms and the legs, but it works. It works really well. So there's a hint for everyone. Perfect. Thank you. I'm going to try that next week. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, see how it goes. It'll become a swear jar type thing if you say the word breaststroke. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Love it. So for you, what does swimming have for you in the future? And what do you think about swimming in general, how it's going to progress? I think there's a definite need to to continue to educate and develop coaches. You know, there's been a lot of research done around females in coaching and not just coaching swimming, but coaching all sports. Coaching is a hard gig when you start to get uh, athletes a bit older and a, a bit more professional. And when you start doing mornings and nights, particularly if you have a young family, um, for both men and women, it, it's a hard gig to do that. I think educating people to become coaches, educating them to be able to teach the correct stroke models from the start is critical. And probably the other one is, it's one thing as a coach to walk on the pool deck and see athletes not swimming correctly. Like you can recognise there's something wrong with their stroke, but it's actually a real art to recognise what it is that's wrong with their stroke. and you know, sometimes that comes down to just watching them from all different angles, which I strongly encourage. 
you know, coaches walk around the pool and move around so they are watching from all different angles. Sometimes it comes down to videoing, just pulling out the phone and videoing one lap. And I'll give you an example. I was looking at a, a girl, young 14-year-old girl swimming the other day, and she was swimming straight towards me. And I could tell something was wrong, but I couldn't tell what it was when she was swimming towards me. So I went around the side of the pool and as she swam back past me, I could see that her right hand was entering right next to her head, right next to her goggles and going all the way out in front of her head. She was still extending out, but all of it was underwater. So yeah. rather than entering the water, say two thirds of the way out, uh, for example, she was entering less than one third of the way out and nearly knocking her goggles each time that she entered with the right hand. And it wasn't until I moved around to the side that I saw clearly, and it, it, it was there within one or two strokes, but I just wasn't on the right angle from the front. Yeah. Uh, probably the other one is that if someone's swimming incorrectly and you notice that they're swimming incorrectly, but you're not sure why, just start with the head position, then move through the body position. You know, there, there's a really good start. Uh, have a look at the legs, you know, the legs crossing over or they kicking side by side. So at least eliminate that before you get to the arm stroke, because a lot of the time, if you correct their head or body position, it actually corrects up the arms. So you're going across your body with your hand. We need you to go there. But the, the fact is that it might be their breathing because they're I don't know, looking backwards when they breathe or, or if they're not blowing out bubbles when they breathe and they turn their head to breathe in, but they're having to blow out first and then breathe in, their head ends up for longer. So their stroke goes all out of whack. So just looking at the head position, head position when breathing, the body position, the kick before the arms is a really good idea. Yeah, as such big tips there and it's something you see a lot in a lot of swimmers I've been doing a lot of school groups lately and you can pick it up in nearly every swimmer there's something different and yeah. taking that time to go right back to basics yeah particularly in brushstroke yeah there's it. many many different styles of brushstroke but you know if you teach the arms and and the correct stroke pattern and the legs and the correct pattern for the legs combine those with breathing and put them together it is a lot easier for them yeah as a presenter I find I mean I give them the basics and what a stroke needs to look like. But I think also we really need a, and I know each swimmer's individual, and I say to my participants that, you know, you teach the basics in the swim teacher, and then from that they develop their own individuality. But I think we need a clearer understanding what the basics are. You know, that simple with breaststroke, just teaching the skull is a lot more simple. And I think that's something we don't really have. There's so many different ideas. We don't have the basic, I think, structure to start off these younger teachers and yeah. teachers coming through. Yeah. We're, with the work we've been doing with Gold Class Swimming, we've actually put together about 300 videos. And those videos include about 20 stroke drills for each stroke. They also have or a 10-minute explanation of freestyle and backstroke and breaststroke and butterfly with the athlete in the water and stopping at the key points and an explanation. But it's also got a, there's five chats between myself and Lee Nugent where we look at each of the strokes and we look at the head position, the body position, the arm action, the leg action, the timing in little sit-down chats that 
coaches can actually watch and have a look at that and see what they think. So Brilliant. that resource has been developed and it, like we've got 317, I think it is, members at the moment from 17 different countries that are using that. But I had a call last night from a, a young coach who's 20 years old and said, this is just fantastic. Like, I just can't believe it. I've been using the coaches. I've just started coaching with a school team and it's been fantastic. And I'm now educating the two coaches that are three years older than me and more experienced on the different drills. And the great thing is they have explanations on why to why to use them, like why yeah. they're the best skills. So really enjoyed the work we've done with Gold Class Swimming because it's it's just given us an opportunity to bring together all the technical aspects of the competitive strokes, plus a whole lot more on planning and energy systems and all of that for coaches. That's fantastic because, and I know I started on it but never really dwelled into it enough and I need to go back on to the Gold Class Swimming to get that because, like I said, the underlying knowledge is you know, sort of assumed but not really passed on and I know when I did my competitive swimming course and then went and did my bronze coaching just out of interest to get a bit more knowledge for my local swimmers, there is such a massive gap. And I went in and I'm like, what the hell have I done? Why am I here? Because I don't understand this stuff. And to have that, to be able, that knowledge to be able to feel, that's fantastic that you've been able to develop. Yeah. No, it's been terrific. And, you know, one of the things that Lee Nugent said to me five years ago when we started with that little project was I don't want to finish up coaching and have not shared the knowledge that I've gained over the last 40 years and you know it's just outstanding because uh, unfortunately we've had you know a few coaches pass away recently who are getting quiet they're in their 80s now but they take all that knowledge with them And by doing this project and putting it together and evolving it on a weekly basis, we have weekly mentor pods and that with coaches. It's been a fantastic way for Lee and myself and in earlier days, Rowan. Uh, Rowan's gone into the head coach of Swimming Australia role, so that's his priority now, which is fine. But there's a lot of content on there from Rowan as well. Yeah, it's just a terrific resource for upper level swim teachers but very much so for coaches of all ages. Yeah, and I love that, that it crosses over into the swim teaching side because it makes it so much easier as a coach if your swimmers are being taught correctly from basics. Very much so. Yeah, and I'll link all that in the show notes as well so people can find out how to get involved. Thanks, Karina. I'd love to know your ideas with the amount of information that you have. How can, as an individual industry, we promote and develop the learn to swim side and competitive swimming to get those more participants. And is there any way we can do that, you know, these days with the less funding that's coming out? How can we be creative with it? Oh, I think we can. There's a, uh, and I'll give you an example. There's a new program called Fun Swim uh, that's been released by Swimming Victoria in the last few weeks. Yeah. And we've been blown away with the amount of, I guess, interest from swimming clubs particularly, but also swim schools. And uh, I'm not sure how many. I know a lot of regional areas have taken it on board in the first few weeks. Brilliant. But it's now extended out to other states within the country uh, are now interested in the concept and the program itself. And it just guides people through. So it's, you know, the the fun swim program. And, and swimming is fun, Katrina. Like just, 
being in water, you feel so good. And a lot of people during recent lockdowns around the world who weren't able to swim, they probably weren't in a, as good a place as what they were when they can normally swim because just, you know, even just lying in water is good for you. Mm. So, and swimming through it is good for you. So it's really good for our general health, our fitness and our mental health as well. But this fun swim side of things, uh, I think just coaches building relationships with swim schools and vice versa. I do see there's, I understand that swim schools are a business and I understand that's, you know, the primary goal is to teach children to be safe in the water and, and also be a successful business. There's also the opportunity to be even more successful if swim schools were to, to pass some of their swimmers through to the local swimming club because then they get the kudos through that and build a connection through the club and it all comes back. It ends up that the swimmers in the club and my experience is they all become the teachers in the swim school and they're good at it. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot more to it than just the, the financial side of the upper end of a swim school. It, it's also about developing people, passing them on, but you get the rewards back tenfold uh, if you do that. And that's it. It definitely was that and the connection you can make can build up your swim school and then also flow onto that swimming club. And I think especially in regional areas, we need to make those connections to develop our swimming and, you know, bring it back to the sport that it was when we were, you know, back 80s, 90s, when it was a massive sport and we were doing so well with it. I think we need to make those connections and then it benefits the kids as well as swim schools and the, co- and the clubs as well. Yep. I, I think with the, the clubs, like the, the real key is to build a foundation every year of 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. And if you continue to do that year after year, you know, with good coaching, you'll retain a lot of those kids in the sport. You'll also attract more 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. Like it's quite often where I see a group of swimmers come in at that age and then they progress through to 13, 14, 15, and they haven't been replaced as such yes. within the program by a new group of 9, 10, 11-year-olds. And a lot of people have asked me over the years what the success of Wadding was. Like for 17 years, up in the top two or three in the country, you know, one of the leading clubs in, in Victoria uh, and producing Olympians as well as having 5,500 kids in swim schools. Yeah. But the real key was we identified 80 new kids every year to come into the squad program. So we always knew we were always working on that funnel of kids coming into the sport. So, you know, that's really important is just continually developing young kids. And that's a swimming club's responsibility and they have the opportunity to go out and promote it to people as well. And I think that's where this fun swim is going to come in fairly well where there's some fun little meets where people not already in your swimming club can come along and take part in some fun little meets yeah and I like that connection and then also you know it's a a, a state run component or program and that they've got that basic behind it of you know wanting to develop the sport and wanting it to connect with swim schools to be able to bring that interest in and then it continues through and builds from there. So I think that's a great connection. I'll also put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Well, well, that's my last question. 
and I know you need to get going. Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your information. I've just personally learned so much straight away that I'm going to implement with my teaching as of next week. And I can't wait to get in there. And I thank you for that. And I think how can you swim teachers and coaches get in contact with you and to find out your information as well? They're more than welcome to uh, just go to the Gold Class Swimming website, goldclassswimming.com. If they're looking to uh, email, uh, admin at goldclassswimming.com is the admin email which we use. Uh, We have a team of people working within Gold Class Swimming and I think there's six or seven people now working across the organisation and continually putting together new stuff for everyone. So um, that's probably the main way, Katrina. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time again and sharing the knowledge you have. Hopefully we can get you back on and maybe share some more, get some more tidbits. And it's fantastic the work you do in for swimming, both through Gold Class with Swimming Victoria and also just connecting with coaches and swim teachers around Australia. So thank you so much for your time and the work that you do. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Katrina.